Well, go ahead and grab your Bibles if you got them. If you are new here, we use the ESV version if you have a device. Um, and you can turn to Psalm 139, and we're going to be hitting uh, verses 13 through 24. We're just going to be camping out in those verses uh, today. This is part two of our Psalm, uh, of Psalm 139. You know, it's funny, when you go to seminary, um, they teach you how to, uh, you know, to preach. I don't know, right? Um, I didn't learn a lot there, but they, they did try to, you know, teach you how to preach. I didn't learn that very well either. But um, it's kind of funny because they, uh, they, they teach you how to craft all this crazy stuff, and they tell you how to do your intro, and you got to have your intro, and don't forget your introduction. Well, what happened was, like, I prayed all week, and I just didn't, I don't have an intro. So, um, actually, I had two intros, and I just moved them to the end. So you're going to get the intros, but you're not going to get them uh, till the end. And uh, this is basically like going to a restaurant, and you're sitting there, and like you're waiting for them to bring you the bread, and they never bring you the bread. And then by, you know, by the time you ask them for your bread, like they just serve you the meal. That's what's going on right now. I just want you to know that. Um, well, here's the main point, right, for our introduction. Here's the main point. This is what we want to walk into today. This is what I want to anchor ourselves in today as we go through Psalm 139. It's this. We need to ask God to search our hearts and surface our sin so that we stay on a path that leads to life rather than lies. I'm going to say that one more time. We need to ask God to search our hearts and surface our sin so that we stay on a path that leads to life rather than lies. And what we do and how we do this is by reflecting on his word. As we saw David do last week as he was reflecting on everything God was. That's how we do that. That's how that searching process happens. We reflect to come to the same conclusion about what is true about God. So as a believer, you want to reflect on God's word. Not to come to some new truth. Because there is no new truth in that book. We reflect on the things of God to come to the conclusions that he's already given us in this book that tell us everything we need to know about what is true about him. But we do it by reflecting. We do it by thinking about the things of God, by meditating on his word as we see David doing in Psalm 139. So today we're going to continue David's, his sequence of thought from last week where he did just that. He reflected on God's omniscience, the the fact that God knows everything, on God's omnipresence, the fact that God's spirit is present everywhere, and the comfort he found from knowing how intimately he's known and cared for by God. And this week, we're just going to see this guy, it's just, he just, how he marvels. He continues to marvel at God's unrivaled ability to form him in his mother's womb. He goes back to the birth process and how he came into being. And, and this reflection that we're going to see from, from David, it's not, it's not for nothing. David is not just reflecting because he's, you know... He's having a beautiful day in the neighborhood with Mr. Rogers. Like he's not just reflecting because he's having a great day and that everything feels good and he's experiencing all this calm and this peace before the Lord. No, by the end of this, we're going to see what was really going on in David's heart, which is that his reflection leads him to a place. So we reflect to be led to a place. And his reflection led him to a place that we need to be led as we grow in our love for God and our faith in Jesus Christ. So let's... Let's see. We're going to open up God's Word. We're going to see where that place is as we pick up in 139, verse 13. God's Word says this. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you 
for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame is not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. Verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. And we're just going to stop right there for now. What we see here, what David is reflecting on the truth that he's drawing for us here is the fact that God has our birth, he has our life, and he has our death fully under his design and control. I mean, you can say yikes after something like that, but the, but the deal is he has it all under his sovereign control. Verses 13 and 14, our conception in our birth, right? That's what David's talking about. It gives testimony to this wondrous omnipotence, the all-powerfulness of God. It gives testimony of God, the way he intricately designs and creates just this sort of this labyrinth that is the human body. I mean, he formed us like clay, he knitted us together like, like fabric. David's aim here is it's, it's not to give us a lesson in biology, right? He's, he's not trying to go medical on us right now, but just to beautifully illustrate that it's not an act of science. It's not an act of Mother Nature or parental love that's responsible for imparting the unique image of God that we bear and that we reflect. No, we find our being through the omnipotent hands of a personal creator who forms us in the image of himself, both fearfully, it says, and wonderfully. What's that means for us when he says we are fearfully and wonderfully made is that we are not random. You know, we use that phrase all the time. Dude, that was so random. Like, we're not random. There's nothing random about us. We're not robots. We're not animals. We're not fetuses. We're image bearers of God created with consciences that give testimony to the ingenuity of God and his limitless power to create something from absolutely nothing. David says to God, the only thing I know is that your works are wonderful. Like, I don't got this thing. I don't look at this and go, yeah, I got a handle on this. He says, the only thing I know is that your works are wonderful. Repeating his comment, remember, if you look back in verse 6, he says... Such knowledge, it's too wonderful for me. It's, it's high. I can't attain it. And that's because God fashioned us, when we look at 15, in a place where no one could see. He put us together in the secret places. It's like an artist. You know, an artist kind of gets to himself and he works in solitude. And the thing that we see, we don't usually see the process, right? We see the finished work of the artist. And of course, you know, I know this was... Obviously written before ultrasound technology and all of those things. But God's eyes, this is what David is telling us, God's eyes were on every part of you before you could be seen by the human eye. That's what he's driving at here. Every second, this is like how I like to think of it. Every second during your mother's pregnancy was a second God spent intricately weaving you into the person that he made in his image. There's that word his again that Scott drove us to in that passage. I mean, David's, again, he's not trying to give us a biology lesson here. That's not the intent. In verse 16, he points out the conception. I don't know why I'm pausing on that word. But conception is an act of God at the end of the day. All right? Conception is an act of God. It's not something he hands over to parents. 
right? It's not something he hands over to parents and says, you know what, I'm just going to check in with you after nine months and uh, make sure everything's okay. Maybe at ages two and 13, I'll, I'll kind of clock back into the process because you're going to need some help during those years. Um, that's not what he does. That's not what God's doing right here. God is invested in our lives even before he forms our lives because he creates the blueprints for our lives. That's how vast, that's how incomprehensible the mind of God is here. He not only draws the blueprints before he builds us. This is what's interesting is is David just gets deeper and deeper into this truth. He not only draws the blueprints before he even builds us, he also jots down the number of days we'll live in his daily planner. All right? I mean, you want to pause on the implications of that? Like your days are, this is going to sound, it's a phrase that we use and it's usually not a good phrase. It's all I got right now. Your days are numbered, right? I mean, it sounds like I'm getting, getting ready to get into like an old Western right here and like pull out my, my shooter, you know, but your days are numbered. That's what, that's what the psalmist is saying right here. Like, so if you, if you were able to, to, to look at my iPhone and you know, all of you are welcome to look at my iPhone, um, you would see a, a calendar, um, that's just like a, a mess, like, it's just an ever-changing mess of dates and appointments that are just being added on and canceled. And, then, well, i got to edit it. Oh, i got to change that. That thing got moved over to there. It's just mayhem is what it is when you look on my iPhone calendar. Here's the thing. God's calendar doesn't have any editing function, right? No editing function. There's no undo on God's calendar. He has the old school model, Right? That's how God rolls. There's a day written down in God's calendar that has the minute you were born, the minute you'll die, and God wrote it down while you were still in the blueprint phase of your existence. I mean, can I just be honest and say there's something unsettling about that? I don't know. I mean, that just feels kind of like, ah, shoot. I kind of want to just say shoot after I read that. Or dang. All right? Shoots a little old school. I mean, think about the lengths, all right? Think about the lengths that we go to prolong our lives. Yeah? It's insane. It's insane. It's insane. Think about the kale and the quinoa. Think about all the essential oils all you guys are fooling yourselves with. I mean, think about all that. Or witchcraft, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call it. I mean, think about all the things we do to add another day to our lives. If I can just get one more day, if I can just look one day younger. Oh, man, when God already has the day, the hour, the minute, and the millisecond of your beginning and end already written down. You mean I've been eating all that quinoa for nothing, Ronnie? Is that what you're saying? No, your body is a temple, so it gives God glory when you steward it like one. So, you know, enjoy your kale salad to the glory of God, you know, <laughs> if that's possible, right? So we, we kind of, when we, when we kind of throw it out there, when David kind of brings us to this place, how is that encouraging? How is this encouraging to David? Because he's, he's not writing this as someone who's discouraged. He's writing this as someone who is being reflective and is being encouraged about the ways that he's exploring the personhood of God. So how is this encouraging news today? Well, verses 17 and 18, 
because David is known by God. That makes all the difference for us. All of God's omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent qualities and attributes, listen, they are applied to David. They're applied to David for David's good because God personally knows David. That's why this brings him comfort, because he could be fearful. But he takes the option available to all of us as we consider these things, which is rejoicing. He rejoices in God's infinite thoughts toward him. He says in verse 17 and 18, he knows that he cannot know the quantity of God's thoughts. And we don't have that. We cannot know the quantity of God's thoughts. But we can know, like David, the quality of God's thoughts towards us. And that's what David does. He knows God is by his side, by the hour. When I awake, I am with you, it says in verse 18. So all of those things that David is learning and understanding and reflecting and meditating and contemplating about God, it brings him to a place of comfort because he knows that this is the God that is with him. Do you reflect on God like this? I mean, do you reflect on God like this? Do you meditate on his incomprehensible and his otherworldly qualities? that make him the sovereign Lord of the universe? I mean, it's important to think about that. Because look at where it leads David in verses 19 through 22. Let me read that. He says this, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Let's stop right there. If we love what God loves, if we take into account and reflect on all of his attributes, if we love those things that God is, we're going to hate the things that God hates. It's the only natural response. If we love what God loves, we're going to hate what God hates. I mean, David takes kind of a crazy turn here, right? I, I mean, it's like, dude, who hurts you, right? I mean, that's what I feel like when I'm, when I'm reading that right now, right? Um, it's interesting that his hate for all that opposes God matches the fierceness of his love for God as you read the other prior verses. And that's okay? Is that Okay. Well, yeah, it's, it's not only okay, it's evidence that the Spirit of God exists in David's heart. Because not only does it draw out the love and the ferociousness of the love that he has for God when he contemplates the attributes of God, but it also makes him fiercely loyal to anything that would push against the name of God. I mean, this doesn't mean we get to eliminate grace, though, does it? We don't get to eliminate grace and just go on a hating spree against everyone who opposes God. That's not what David is saying, or that's not what, what's happening here. It means that we understand the necessity of grace even more because we live after the death and resurrection of Christ. Well, we understand that. We're on this side of the cross, right? But we have to be careful because, listen, hating even the right things can cause issues. 
Hating even the right things can cause a callousness to surface in us. Because although God hates sin, he also is a God who happens to love sinners, doesn't he? And our hate can choke out our love for both the sinner and the God who loves the sinner. So we need to be careful. Because you know what, man? It just feels empowering to hate the right things. Right? We all like that fist in the air. We all like a little, you know, Mel Gibson, Braveheart, you know, you know freedom, you know, the whole thing, right? Painting our face. Like, we, we all love going after that. It empowers us to be against those things that we're so sure that God hates. Because we always have a handle on that as well, don't we? We always have a handle on hating the right things. Like, we've never hated the wrong things, have we? So that's what David's driving at here when he comes before the Lord. Because it's empowering to hate the right things. But our hate needs to be held in check. It needs to be held in check under the humbling heart of God. And that's what we're going to see David do. Because remember at one time that you hated God. Because you weren't born following Jesus. So at one time, we all hated God. At one time, the one that you hated is also the one that eventually justified you. We need to remember that. Because, man, we are just in a vicious climate for hate right now. I don't know if you guys have noticed that, like on Twitter, Facebook, Fox News, whatever, whatever your thing is. But it's a little hateful out there right now. Just, it's just a tad bit hateful going out there right now. We've got to be really careful. We're the church. We're the church. There's a different standard that we are held to. We have a different spirit living inside of us, Right? We need to do what David does next, which is to offer both our love and our hate to God so that he can properly measure it within us. Because you can't properly manage it on your own. I can't. I cannot do that. Because this is what happens if I try to manage my love and my hate on my own without God coming in and revealing things to me that need to be revealed to me so that I can stand back and bow before him in humility. What happens is my hate turns into bitterness. That's what happens. And the things I love, the things that I think are good things, that maybe are good things, my love ends up turning into idolatry. So my hate makes me bitter, and my love just turns into idolatry. Both of those things need to be submitted to the Lord so that he can measure, so he can examine those things. Right, we need to humble ourselves like David does here at the end and ask God to search us so that there's nothing unpleasing to God in us. It's really important that we do that. We need to ask the question, do both our loves and hates reflect Christ in us? Ask yourself that before you get on the blogosphere and start typing your opinions. What's it reflecting in you? What is it reflecting? Is it reflecting the God you love? Or is it reflecting the things you hate? That maybe are things that God doesn't hate. Verse 23, here we are at the end. It says this. This is David. He finishes his song with this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David asks God to search his heart and surface his sin so that he stays on a path that leads to life rather than lies and self-deception. You know what the problem is, okay? 
You know what the problem is? I'll just I'm talk about myself, all right? The problem is, is that I don't do that, okay? I don't do that. I'm not good at doing that. I'm not good at doing that. I was at the dock the other day. You know, I'm getting a little routine checkup stuff, and the first thing they like to do is weigh you. It's insane, right? So the first thing they like to do is weigh you, and I'm, every time, man, I'm, I'm like, Doc, could you just not tell me my weight? You know, and I'm like, I'm standing on the thing, and I'm like, that, you know? And uh, she promptly told me my weight, and uh, she ignored me. And I was like, did you not just hear what I just said? I said, don't tell me my weight. Don't tell me my weight, you know? Um, but here's the thing. I, I need to know my weight. I need to know my weight. If I don't know my weight, I keep fooling myself. I keep fooling myself into thinking that, that, you know, that hamburger and cake diet I've been on is working like the bomb.com. You know what I mean? I, it's like, like that, that's a path that I can remain on, right? Because it's, it's doing good things for me. It's not. It's not, right? When we reflect on God and ask him to search us like David, he begins to reveal something we didn't know about ourselves, which is the effect of our sin and the effect that it has on every part of our lives, Right? So what worries me is that we come to church every week having done so little reflection on God. Which means so little of our sin is being revealed to us. I mean, it's like if you went to the doctor, man, and just hung out with him. It's like if you just went to the doctor's office and you just said, oh, hey, Dr. Jeremiah, there he is right there. And you said, dude, I'm just going to follow you around. We're going to look at some feet. We're going to do a little foot surgery. It's going to be good. We're going to enjoy ourselves. I'm going to reach into your candy bowl, and I'm going to just deplete that thing. But I'm just going to hang with you. What? I mean, what good is that, right? I mean, what, what good is that if you never get a physical or a CAT scan or blood work or x-rays or, you know, you're with Big Zach Watson, and you don't get your diabetes checked? I mean, he's going to hate that I just said Big Zach, but that's the way that went out. Um, do you, get, you guys get what I'm saying with that? I, I mean, what good is it just to be there? What good is it just to be in the room? If, you're, if God's not doing the work on your heart, if he's not revealing those things to you. I mean, I just, I, I, I worry about substance being a place like that. I mean, I lose sleep over that. I worry about this church being like that, a place where we, we all rally together around the food and the fellowship but so little reflection on God. I mean, I I love this place. I know you guys love this place. We love this place. And by place, I mean we love each other. You know, we love gathering. All that is good. All that needs to be just continued to meant practice. We need to go after each other. We need to just have a good time. We need to celebrate God's grace through all the eating, through all the fellowship. But man, we... We, more importantly than that, we need to be able to come to one another with the level of reflection being done in our hearts that can actually offer the other person something that will bring them back to God. And in fact, one of the ways that God might, that, that God might search your hearts is by using someone who's already been searched. So when you think about being searched, When you go before the Lord and you say, Lord, search me and know me. What that's doing is that's allowing something to be dug up in you that you are going to be able to go to somebody else as the means for God to dig it up in them. 
That's how important this is, what, what David is laying before us here. We reflect to come to the same conclusion about what is true about God, to get to a place where our prayer is like this. It's like David's at the end. You know, I mean, I'm spending 10 days in Romania. Man, it just revealed just some sin, you know, in, in my life, you know. Made me realize some things about myself because they're not so easily exposed here because we have air, I get air conditioning, right? Like my bed is comfortable. You know, I, I have those things, you know? But, but in Romania, um, I realized that my control had become an uncomfortable idol in my life. And so that's something that I've been reflecting on because he revealed that to me in those moments that I'm still reflecting on, that I'm still trying to understand better, that I'm still trying to repent of daily because it's not like it just vanished when I got off a Delta in Cleveland. It's still there. It's still very much with me. And I think that we're afraid. We're afraid at what God will find when he searches our hearts. But you know what David is saying here? You know what he's saying? Like what we, we, we talked about last week, he, he's saying God already knows. God already knows. We're, we're not a mystery to God. Remember last week we talked about that? We're not a mystery to God. He doesn't look into the inner reaches of your soul and say, wow. He doesn't do that. We're not a suspense novel with a surprise ending to God. None of you are that. I'm not that. The fact that God searches us while knowing everything about us, knowing the darkness and the rebellion that exists in our hearts, gives testimony to his love, mercy, and grace. Because he searches us. He doesn't pull back, right? Because we don't do that so much, right? When we see something ugly, we pull back. We don't invest, right? And when you find moldy bread in the fridge, you don't say, goody, I'm going to go eat the whole loaf now. I mean, nobody does that, right? You toss it. God is not you. God is not me. He knows the hand he's been dealt because he is the dealer. That's it. Notice that David doesn't say, search me and know my thoughts. Try me so that I'll know your thoughts. He says, try me so that you'll know my thoughts. See if there's any sin in me. And you know what that does to me when I read that? It makes me afraid because I'm afraid of what he's going to pull out and just expose before my eyes. I don't like that. I'm afraid. But you know what I think is even more important than that? What we learn from this is that we are afraid of the wrong things. We're afraid of the wrong things. We're afraid of outcomes, aren't we? We're afraid of outcomes. We're afraid that we might look back one day and realize we never achieved the life that we dreamed of. That's our fear. Our fear is that things are going to be preventative in our life. That's our fear. But David trusted God with his future because he believed God had already secured it. What David was afraid of is what we should really be afraid of, which is our own heart. He was afraid of God finding something sinful in him. What are you afraid of God finding in you? It's a question worth asking today, tomorrow, 
forever. What are you afraid of God finding in you? And will you reflect on that? Will you reflect on all that God is and ask him to search all that is in your heart to see if there is any grievous way in you? And if you're just unsure about any of that, the answer is yes, there is. There you go. There is some grievous way in you. I mean, it is just stupid to come to church week after week, never reflecting on any of this, like you're punching a time card. Ronnie, did you just call me stupid? I mean, no, yeah. I don't know. Don't be offended by me. Be offended by yourself. So yes, there is a grievous way in all of us. But there's another way. There is another way here laid out for us in verse 24. There's a pleasing path that God desires us to be on. And the pleasing path here is what David says at the end, which is, lead me in the way everlasting. It's the way that leads to life. On this side of the cross, which is where we find ourselves, because the cross was 2,000 years ago, on this side of the cross, for us, it's Christ. Because Christ said, Christ talked about the way, the path. He said, it's me. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one has peace with the Father. No one has access to God the Father but through me. It has to come through me. It has to come through my work on the cross. John 14, 6. It's the pathway of obedience that Jesus went down until he reached Calvary and created an everlasting way that leads to our peace with God. That's the everlasting way. It's the pleasing path that God desires for us. It's the path where we, in Psalm 1 said, we delight and meditate on God's law day and night. We become like a tree planted by streams of water that yield fruit in its season where the leaf never withers and in all that we do we prosper because the Lord knows the way of the righteous. That's the way. That's the path. We reflect on that so that we're not afraid to be searched by God. Because being searched by God reveals our sin, which leads to repentance and right standing with God. So we do that. You do that. You pause on this. You reflect on what is true about God. So like David, you can say, even the darkness is not darkness to you. Wonderful are your works. How precious to me are your thoughts. And when I am awake, I am still with you. Let's pray. God, these are such heavy words. They're such words of life for us. Thank you for revealing these words through David the psalmist. Thanks that we could see such a clear picture of your omniscience and your omnipresence and your omnipotence. Thanks that we could see the godness of God in this. All that you are, all that is incomprehensible, all that we can't fathom. We get a picture of it. We get a taste of it in Psalm 139. But Lord, it needs to cause reflection in our lives so that you can reveal those things that are grievous to you. 
so that you can reveal that sin that keeps us on an unpleasing path. Lord, we want to be led down the way everlasting. And we know that that way was created for us by your son dying on the cross. Lord, that's the good news. That is the gospel. That is the way everlasting. So call these things up, Lord. And we live in a society that we have so many things and distractions going on. Lord, I pray that you would give us the discipline to pause and to quiet ourselves and to open your word and to wait on you and to listen to what you say in your word so that we know what needs to be changed in our lives and what needs to be prayed for in our lives and what needs to be exterminated in our hearts. We can't do that. You have to do that. Do that for us. Let us be a reflective church. Let us be a church that is constantly praying for you to reveal to us all that has changed us in Christ. Lord, lead us in the way everlasting. Give us the hope and joy that we have because you have numbered our days. And our, your plans for us are good plans. And your desires for us are that we would know you more. And by knowing you, we would glorify you. And by glorifying you, we would enjoy you. Lord, grant us that today. Thank you that all things are possible because of Christ. Let us come before you humbly with these thoughts. And Lord, change us, transform us, lead us in the way everlasting, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand.